The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Gonna put some butts in the seat. Self-high five. We've been hanging and banging, brother. You're next. Watch Real Monsters go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast brought to you proudly by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, one of your hosts, and with me as always as we traipse through WCW one show at a time, right the way through to the doors close, is the Scottish juggalo himself, the wrestling encyclopedia, Scottish Danny. How are you doing this week, my friend? I'm doing really well, thank you, sir. How's yourself? Not too bad, but not too bad. Um, feeling a little bit ancient, actually, looking at the date of this show. We're about to review the uh, episode of Nitro that follows on from the Super Raw pay-per-view that we looked at last week. And the date that this episode of Nitro first went out was February the 12th, which was my birthday. So February the 12th, 1996. I was 15 on this day, mate. 15 and i watch this wrestling now it looks really really old it makes me feel about a million years old myself <laughs> well happy belated birthday to you si. <laughs> what i mean it's like the gods knew it was going to be your birthday because look what we got in the main event wow yes we're going to come to that shortly but uh one of my faves is headlining the show which is lovely but yes as i mentioned this is the february 12th 1996 edition of monday nitro coming to us live from tampa florida uh tv ratings wise we have nothing for monday night raw it did not run on this particular week perhaps there was a dog show on who knows uh nitro did benefit from this nitro scored a 2.9 last week and a 2.9 next week but this week for the february 12th edition scored a 3.7 so they didn't attract over all of the viewers that were kind of hovering around monday night raw but a big old chunk of them danny I can imagine so, because we have Arn in the main event. So, I mean, imagine a lot of them were <laughs> flocking over. <laughs> oh, who wouldn't, eh? Who wouldn't? Mr. Anderson, what a legend. Uh, we begin the show then with our commentary trio of Mongo McMichael, Bobby Heenan and Eric Bischoff. And of course, Pepe is there too, dressed in his own little headset and microphone gear. Obviously, he's going to provide some kind of color commentary himself. But the show begins, as always, with the fireworks and the music and the crowd going mental. And then those poor people in attendance have to just sit there and wait whilst the TV viewers get a Super Bowl six recap. We get told Pillman left the building. He's done. And then he's not mentioned again by Bischoff. And we run through the main events and everything that we covered last week, Danny, don't we? Yep, we certainly did. And we had, um, yeah, you're right about the fans just having to sit there because that segment lasted close to eight minutes. And I was mm. thinking, wow, you never see that these days. It's normally straight to the action, isn't it? But um, yeah, I was glad to see that they uh, announced, uh, they ran through the entire pay-per-view. And um, so if you didn't buy the pay-per-view, you'd be able to see all the results anyway by waiting 24 hours. Yeah, I mean, obviously they do. Uh, they did, sorry, what what the WWE did for a long time as well, and just show stills of the event. They just show uh, the, the images, the pictures of what goes on. You don't actually see what really happens and so on. Uh, because they're also advertising on the same episode, Nitro, here, 
the the encore presentation is is i believe how they word it where you can buy the pay-per-view again on the way i think it's wednesday evening or tuesday evening or something like that isn't it yeah it's tuesday i think right ah there we go uh our opening contest, though, is Hugh Morris, who, don't get me wrong, I'm far from a physical specimen that, that can sort of, you know, boast about my appearance in any way, shape or form. But Hugh Morris comes down to the ring looking like shit. And he is facing the newly uncrowned, I guess, the, the former world champion, Randy Savage. We get told during the intros that next week we're getting a rematch from Super Brawl of Savage versus Flair for the title on Nitro. So that's something to look forward to there. Uh, Savage comes out looking very understated. However, there's no no jacket, no tassels, no hat, no crazy pointing and twirling. He just comes out looking very determined and like his mind is. He, well, he's on a bit of a mission, I guess, Danny. Yeah, I mean, you you rightly claimed that uh, Hugh Morris looked looked like shit, and it looked like Macho Man felt like shit because he had just lost his uh, world championship. I thought this was excellent character work from uh, Macho Man because he was very deflated coming out, wasn't he? Yeah, you could see a a, a, a very noticeable difference in his demeanor. Again, even just down to the wage, the commentary, commentary team as well uh, pointed this out. And in a way, I suppose Bischoff kind of preempted it as well, because before Savage actually came through the curtain, he described him as being the most colourful and flamboyant character in WCW. And then Savage comes out basically stripped back to a degree. So I, I could see Bischoff was trying to set the scene for Savage's, I suppose, reaction to his loss last night, I guess. But yeah, it, it was quite interesting seeing Randy looking this way. Uh, the match itself, I'm not going to lie, Danny, it didn't do a great deal for me. It, it was just, uh, it was quite brawly early on, quite punchy kicky, as we like to say on this show. Um, there's a good few minutes pass by before we finally actually get a wrestling move. And it's a suplex by Hugh Morris. And then we just go back to more punchy kicky brawling and a bit of strangling and hanging people over the rope. And there's not really a great deal going on here, is there, mate? No, there isn't. Um, that's why I wrote down as well. There's a lot of choking in this. And um, it went on a bit long for me as well. But um, I was actually surprised how much offence Hugh got on this match, actually, because I thought this was just going to be a squash. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could have booked it that way, couldn't you? Savage comes out, very determined, destroys his opponent, grabs the microphone and says, I want flair, which obviously he did do at the end of this match. He, you know, spoiler alerts, you know, he gets the, <laughs> we're not, we're not quite there yet, but he gets the microphone and says, I want flair, but it's already been announced that he will get flair next week. But yeah, there's just not, there's just not got a lot going on. It's just a lot of punchy, kicky nonsense. And then we get an attempt of a moonsault by Hugh Morris, which, to be fair, looked impressive for a guy his size trying a moonsault from the top rope like that. But he does miss this. Savage hits his top rope elbow drop twice uh, and gets the win. Uh, it's just it just didn't do much for me, mate. To be fair, yeah, I can see that as well. I mean, that uh, moonsault really. I mean, to be honest, I've always thought the moonsault looked better when somebody missed, like when Kyangle used to do it, and. Um, the, he looks more impressive him hitting the uh, the mat than it actually did hitting the opponent for me. Right, okay. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I once had a football coach. But I'll tell you what, it would have been around this time because I was playing under-14s, under-15s football. So it would have been around this time, around 1996. I once had a football coach who told me and the rest of our squad it looks better to hit the crossbar than to score. You figure that one out, mate. No wonder we lost every week, eh? <laughs> 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 but yes we have the winner there randy savage uh mean gene then is talking with a fella called steve grissom are you aware of who this guy is danny no but i had a quick look at up on him and he's uh i believe he's a nascar driver isn't he yeah yeah that's right and uh they've entered into sort of an a, agreement with wcw and you have the wcw car that he's racing and to be fair it does look quite cool with the purple and the yellow coloring on and so on uh, and steve grissom is going to race the wcw car for them in the upcoming i don't know what you'd refer to it as season I, I would assume i think it's season or um i'll just say events really <laughs> yeah okay okay uh we then have the debut in ring i guess because we saw him at the pay-per-view obviously the in ring debut of loch ness uh scotty riggs is his opponent from the american males he comes out looking very much like peak 1989 and he's got uh, <laughs> some interesting denim and jewelry and so on going on 
I mean, imagine, imagine sort of mid nineties Shawn Michaels, but with no money. That's kind of what you get with Scotty Riggs here, with regards to his gimmick <laughs> and his ring gear. That's brilliant. So. <laughs> but well, it's it's just for the vibes I got. So uh, Lot Ness comes out afterwards. <sighs> the the guy is a legend. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as giant haystacks it, 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 with regards to the, the British wrestling scene, you know, world of sport and so on. The guy is an absolute legend, of course. Here, he's 50 years of age. He's close to 700 pounds. I mean, he was always a big, big guy. Don't get me wrong. And he was never the most mobile. But here, he's he looks like he's struggling in a way to just walk down the ring. Now, I understand he was diagnosed with, uh, I think it's lymphoma that, that killed a lymphoma that killed him in the end. He was diagnosed with this not long after this, very, very quickly after his WWE debut, he was found out to be poorly. So I appreciate that. However, it doesn't look great here at all, does he, Danny? No. Um, I mean, in match-wise, he really it, it kind of disappointed me, but we'll get into that. But the biggest thing that um, I laughed at was uh, David Penzer announced um, he was from Scotland, but um, Eric Bischoff said that he was from England, and I think there was a miscommunication there. Where was um, John uh, Haystacks from? So, well, when I looked it up... When I looked it up a little while back, uh, it said he was only ever listed as being from Scotland whilst wrestling in the United States as Loch Ness. Um, but I believe he was originally from London, I think. I believe he was from an area of London, but I can't be more specific than that. But we're, yeah, we're he, gonna have, yeah, We're going to have to ask Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob Alpsheimer. No, no, I believe, I believe he was from London originally, born in London anyway. Uh, but billed as being from Scotland whilst the Loch Ness character. So, uh, yeah, with, with regards to that. So, uh, Scotty Riggs, though. I mean, he tries, doesn't he? Fair play to him. He does try. We get uh, some... I mean, Ness just kind of stands there and takes a few drop kicks and a few punches and just literally just stands there. I, I suppose in a way he's trying to be like the big monster heel and no sell it. But he gets hit with a couple of drop kicks and a couple of punches and it almost... It doesn't wobble him but he shows more effect than you would potentially want if the guy was no selling something. And then very quickly, Scotty Riggs climbs to the top rope to try for a crossbody, which I'm assuming Loch Ness was supposed to just catch him on and then splat him to the deck. But he doesn't catch him at all, does he? He just kind of, I, I, I'm going to put the blame on Scotty Riggs wearing far too much baby oil because he just slips out of Loch Ness's hands like a big wet fish, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Um, that looked incredibly nasty when um, Ness just landed on Scotty Riggs' legs. It looked mm. very, very painful. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that baby oil uh, theory, side because he had a lot on there. But yeah, I mean, that was probably the highlight of the match, uh, unfortunately, for Riggs. Yeah, I mean, after that, we get I mean, the, the, the massive, huge elbow drop, almost like crushing the guy's chest and head and neck and so on with this gigantic arm and his his side and almost his back as well that Loch Ness hits. We got two of those huge finishers that he uses. They did look, especially the second one, did look relatively impressive. Loch Ness wins the match. But it was, again, just something else that was just, it was just very blur for me. It didn't do much to sell me on Loch Ness because the guy didn't look mobile. He looked like he, he he's supposed to be being built as part of the dungeon of doom to be a threat to Hogan and Savage. The guy, the, the guy can't move. So I'm not sold on Ness as an opponent for Hogan at all at this point. You know, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts watching? You know, this, I'm assuming this is the first time you've seen um, giant haystacks in WCW as Loch Ness. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, he was definitely a lot less mobile than he had been in the world of sport. But um, I was actually shocked when you said he was fifty. I thought he was forty here because he, I kind of looked it, like he didn't really look young in ring. But in the face, I think he did. Um, I also found this was interesting. The first match with Macho Man and Hugh Morris ended with two elbows, and so did this. So we have two elbow finishes in uh, two matches i found that quite good but if in overall um it, it could have been done more i think more could have been done for especially for a debut um from such a legend um yeah it, it just didn't feel my um need either 
It's interesting you mentioned there, actually, about both matches finishing on two elbow drops. That's a really, really interesting point because I didn't even pick up on that. But why? If you're, if you're putting a wrestling show together, I mean, surely you'd make sure that the finishes are different. I mean, they are different, I guess. You've got a monster guy dropping two elbows and you've got Randy Savage dropping his top rope elbow. So there are differences. But yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, it's just not not good for me. The guy can barely move and obviously he's... he's you know, incredibly overweight and is we find out in a short time unwell. So I don't want to be too harsh or too unkind, but yeah, doesn't really appear appeal to me as a challenge to the main event scene at the moment. I think um, for this, I would have booked it as Loch Ness versus maybe two guys to make it look a bit more impressive. Uh, okay. Maybe two jobbers, maybe both the American males, if not, if you don't want to squash them two, then have like a two lower cards tag teams. But how would you have booked um, Loch Ness's debut, Si? I'll tell you what, how you've just explained it, I don't think I can better. I think that is absolutely spot on. Book him in a handicap match, have him stand in the middle of the ring and guys run at him and bounce off him and then he could splat them both with those big elbows, win the match, one, two, three, game over. At least then it's a case of he's beaten two guys at once okay he can't move very well but he's got this huge massive elbow drop and you know he can beat two guys at once he's going to be a threat to whoever yeah that, that that's probably you'd have probably got more out of it than that out of that sorry than what we saw here i think that's a really good idea Danny. thank you mate and I, I think definitely uh he should have stacked one on top of the other and then pinned them like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you wouldn't want to be on the bottom of that sandwich would you um <laughs> The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. and four hosted by me Cy and UK independent wrestler the king Joshua Goodwin coming to you Monday by the SJP World Media Network the next uh, uh, segment I guess we get is Liz uh, Miss Elizabeth sorry Liz and woman coming out to speak to Mean Gene Gene is saying he wished that you know he was hoping to speak to the new world champion Ric Flair there's a kind of hospital bed gurney stretcher effort behind them. And Flair jumps out of the bed, celebrating away, wooing with the belt. And so, I mean, how great did Flair look here? The suit, the glasses, the belt, the, the, the a woman on either arm. This is, to me, this is what the nature boy Ric Flair is, I guess, Danny. Yeah, definitely. He's got his mojo back, hasn't he? Mm. Um, I really enjoyed this little segment uh, because, as we said last week, I've never seen Liz as a heel, and I really enjoyed her um, promo, and I really enjoyed um, the reasoning for her turning heel as well. It was very, very logical. What did you think, Sai? Well, yeah, I mean, talk us through that then, what was said by Liz and her, her mindset in general, Danny. 
Well, basically, she turned heel because um, all the years of uh, Macho Man's uh, overpowerness of her, and she took half of his money and half of his possessions as well, just like a heel from like a, a movie or something like that. And I thought that was really cool because it was very realistic because we've always heard those stories of how he just he would lock her in rooms and things like that to keep her away from other wrestlers. Uh, and he was very paranoid, um, all these reports say. But um, I thought this was really cool because um, it was like her rebelling. It was like, no, she's actually standing up for herself. But kind of like... Um, isn't she kind of being a baby face here for herself <laughs> a little bit? Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, you're right. It's kind of blurring the lines a little bit, isn't it? Sort of playing on the uh, the sort of known history now, I guess, more so than maybe back in the 80s of how Savage was with Elizabeth or how their relationship was, um, allegedly, anyway. Uh, but yeah, you can understand why she would have those motivations if he was very controlling. So yeah, I suppose you're right. It does kind of give her a baby face angle to it potentially but, but the then, fact that she, sorry go on no i was just gonna say then then again her being stood next to woman makes her much more of a heel as well it makes her fit in yeah and it's little touches as well all of a sudden she's not wearing a red dress or a gold dress or anything to see she's wearing black and she stood next to woman and she's next to flair and i suppose she's not standing there and saying i did it because you did this this and this she's standing there and laughing about it which does kind of give it that heel twist but the reasonings i suppose do make that make a little sense i guess i mean a lot of a lot of the best villains i i, I guess are those who regardless of what they're doing and how bad it can be believe their motivation is correct so maybe Definitely. maybe that's what they were going for danny i don't know Definitely, I can see that. Um, I also really, uh, in a, on a slightly depressing note, um, Rick Flair was the only person after five people in this segment to still be living. Of Mean Gene, Woman, and Miss Elizabeth, Rick Flair was still there. Yeah, it, it's it's very sad, isn't it? Because I mean, Gene obviously he died at a certain age and he'd lived a, a long life and so on. The other two. Well, we've gone into details about it. Everyone's fully aware of what happened with, with regards to women and, and uh, or Nancy Benoit, sorry. And um, everyone's also fully aware of, of what happened with Miss Elizabeth and her relationship with Lex Luger and uh, the, the the sort of addiction issues and so on. It's very, very sad that two people who were incredibly popular with the fans, but also incredibly popular backstage, you, hear, you, you don't really hear any bad things said by either of them. I mean, I know the whole thing is you don't talk ill of the dead and people always look at uh, people who people, I suppose people talk about those who have left us in a, in a more positive light because they're no longer here. But even when they were alive, you didn't hear any bad tales about these two. So yeah, it's incredibly sad. And I, again, you look at the ages and the lifestyles at this moment in 96. I, if I had to pick one person to still be alive in that group, it wouldn't have been Flair. Yeah, totally the same. Yeah. But there we go. Very sad. That's how the wrestling world chews people up and spits them out sometimes. Uh, up next, we have a graphic saying that Conan is going to defend the United States Championship. And there's just a picture of his opponent. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, who the hell is that? Did you recognize him from the picture? Absolutely not. I had to do a lot of research into this, who this was. And I was absolutely blown away of who it is, Sai. Yeah, Conan is facing Dangerous Devon Storm, who has got an interesting kind of blonde mullet effort going on. Uh, some, I, I suppose, high-vis, almost electric green tassels on his tights and is quite an aerial competitor, I suppose, in comparison to some other people that we see on this card. Dangerous Devon Storm went on to wrestle as Crowbar. You know, back in WCW, he left for a while, went to the WWF to wrestle in their light heavyweight tournament and so on. That was eventually won by uh, Taka Mishinoku, I believe it was, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, from who went, in, went on to be in Kyantai and stuff, didn't he? So, but then when Devon Storm returned, he was the Crowbar persona. And so, but yeah, he had a few matches here in 96. I was dangerous, Devon Storm. It, that blew my mind. Yeah, I could not believe that. I was like, that can't be the same guy, is it? And even more, <laughs> even more impressive, he wrestled on AEW just last year. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is interesting. It is. I mean, we'll get into the match and see some of the things that Storm does or Crowbar does. I'll call him Storm because that's the name he's using here. But I mean, first of all, something that we noticed, I believe it was the pay-per-view review we did. Conan starts the match with his back to his opponent again. What is wrong with this guy? I kind of thought this was, I don't know if this is part of his character work or maybe he just couldn't be bothered. I mean, it's hard to tell. They always say wrestling's best when um, you, you blur the lines and you can't tell what's the work and what's the shoot. I honestly couldn't tell if he couldn't be bothered to wrestle or not. But yeah, he, he definitely got a drop kick for his efforts, didn't he? Good. I'm glad he got a drop kick for his efforts. I'm just looking at him and thinking, you knobhead, because you're trying to sell you're trying to sell this as a, a sporting contest. We all know, obviously how wrestling works, but you're trying to sell it whilst you're watching it as a, a sporting contest. A boxer wouldn't start with his back to his opponent. You know, you watch say Taekwondo or judo or whatever in the Olympics or, or, or world championships and so on. They wouldn't start with their back to their opponent. You know, if they were start, you know, a standing stance to start the contest with whatever sport that may well be. But <laughs> here, for some reason, Conan just turns his back and it's like, you're such a knob. It really took me out in the moment. But yeah, he gets a drop kick for his efforts and goes falling out to the outside, doesn't he, Danny? He does, yeah. And for the next, like, I'd say about two minutes of this match, he kind of looks like he can't be bothered where um, his lack of selling and things like that. But when um, he's sitting down on a chair and Devon Storm just drop kicks him on the chair, that seems to wake him up, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if Storm was getting a bit frustrated with with Conan's, shall we say, relaxed attitude. I guess might be one way of wording it. Um, yeah. <laughs> very early on, the, I mean, they're outside the ring here, but very early on, uh, Devon Storm is looking under the the ring curtain for something rather, and he brings out a chair. And I'm thinking, okay, this is unusual. This uh, I got quite strong Sabu vibes from that moment, really, because I'm thinking you're going to get yourself disqualified here. So what are you playing at? But he uses the chair to basically be almost like a platform to spring off. And he hits a flip off the chair over the top rope to to Conan on the outside. He then uses, he sits Conan on the chair and then runs at the ring steps and jumps off them to try and catch Conan. But Conan actually catches him and power bombs him on the floor, which is quite a... That looks nasty. Oh, that did look nasty. I mean, I thought the match was over there, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it did look very, very, you know, very stiff, stern, bump, didn't it? Yes, indeed. Uh, back in the ring, we have, you know, arm drags, suplexes, and a leg lock by Conan. Uh, very similar to the moves he was using during the pay per view, I guess, in the last time we watched him. Uh, but then we end up on the mat, and Conan has a as a as a submission hold upon Devon Storm which eventually is the other way around. Storm has one on Conan. They are both very much easily within touching the rope's distance, but they don't. They don't really, you know, the camera gets close to them and you don't really get an expression of pain on their face or any kind of proper selling for the hold they're in. It's almost like they're having just having a bit of a lie down and having a bit of a break. And this here, despite the quick start, that the, Conan turning his back nonsense will ignore, but... The, the quick start with moves from Devon Storm. This middle section of the match here, where it goes down onto the mat, to me, it just completely loses its way, Danny. Yeah, I would say the same because it was just like, like you started out with a big ball of energy and then it just kind of fizzled out here for this middle part. Um, was that a submission of backwards figure four, Si? Because I couldn't tell what it was. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, mate. I'm not 100% sure. It was it, a, it was yeah. a tricky one, but it, it looked very painful. But well, obviously it didn't uh, to them, but it would to like somebody who was actually selling it. But um, yeah, it was kind of like it, to me. It, maybe De- this is the first time we're seeing Devon Storm. Maybe this was his tryout. Maybe somebody backstage said, "Oh, try your best. Like just throw everything against the wall and see what happens." But yeah, I mean, it definitely did slow down. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they would necessarily have somebody. Uh, having their tryout on television. I don't know if that would be where, uh, or the best course of action business wise, but then again, this is WCW. So none of it makes sense. So perhaps it is. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to have a look into it, but eventually we get the finish of the match. And even that is a little bit 
it, it, it's, it's almost good, but slightly off. Like a lot of the stuff in this match is. Uh, Devon Storm goes for a top rope head scissors, which is countered into a kind of powerbomb effort. And Conan tries to roll over to pin Storm. But it's all done so vigorously, so quickly, that Storm's shoulders just slip right out. And he has to literally force his own shoulders to the mat for the finish to work. So, again, as with the opening of this match, with Conan not really paying attention, turning his back, whatever, the finish also kind of took me out of it as well. Definitely, I could see that as well. It was just like, oh, was, I'm going to steal one of your words, so wobbly finish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you notice uh, during this match, Eric Bischoff apologising for um, accusing the WWF of the power cut that they recently had? No, I missed that, really. Oh, yeah, it looked like a forced apology, but I have to do more research into this. But um, Eric Bischoff... Uh, claimed that uh, WWF caused the power outage on one of their shows and he yeah. it was on it was on uh, commentary during this and he said oh we was only joking it was basically like um it was like I'm paraphrasing that it was like oh we didn't really mean that but um he was kind of like a backhanded apology as typical Eric Bischoff would be but yeah I found that very interesting as well uh dig into it Danny dig into it and we'll find we'll have another look back at that next week shall we yeah definitely Okay, uh, that brings us then very quickly, I guess, as these nitros tend to be in the early days, being quite short. That brings us to our main event, and we have Hulk Hogan versus the Enforcer on Anderson. Uh, Anderson comes out in a leather waistcoat with woman alongside him, throwing up the four fingers for the horseman. And just again, it's no secret how much of an Arn Anderson mark I am. I, I love this guy. But how badass did he look here? He looks like a professional wrestler, doesn't he? He definitely does. And this is what I love most. We get Arn Anderson's full entrance on <laughs> one of the biggest... I'm not going to say this is the biggest match of his career, but this is definitely one of the biggest matches. So him coming out um, with the ring attire, with the entrance attire and everything like that, really, really cool. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if I go as far as say one of the biggest matches of his career. I know Bischoff tried to sell it as that, or maybe it was Heat. Somebody on commentary did anyway. But yeah, for me, I look back at the the stuff he's won. And I think uh, maybe wrestling Hogan. I suppose the result does help out with that as well. Potentially, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I suppose I'm not really anyone anyone to say. But uh, the match starts in a very typical hogan way and i'm going to amaze you here danny because a lot of the stuff we see here is what i have criticized hogan for in recent weeks however in this instance i didn't mind it so much i thought that the hogan start very typical hogan start overpowering his opponent and so on it looked good it made sense. I don't know if it was because of the way Arn Anderson was bumping for him or or how hard they were both working, whether, whether Hogan was putting more effort in because his opponent was working hard. I don't know. But eventually it goes to the outside. Um, Hogan uses a slingshot on the outside to send Arn Anderson into the ring post. That was quite inventive and impressive by Hogan. I've not really seen him do anything like that before, to my knowledge, anyway. Um, it, it just started really well for me. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. But it was kind of like it started well, sir. But let's really get into the real, <laughs> the meat of this match because for me, after the middle of the match, it just turned into a typical Hulk Hogan match. Um, at least he he did have a new move. I don't know if you noticed his Hulk Hogan's new move. Did you? What was that? The wrist tape. I don't think we've seen that before, have ah, we? Ah, <laughs> yes. Is, it, is this one of your Hogan cheats notes? <laughs> yes, it is, yeah. And I was very frustrated by that because uh, we always talk about Hulk Hogan's heel work, but this is wrist tape choking another person. Like, mm. they're very, very thin. But, yeah, um, I can see your point about, like, that it started out good. This is, like, you know who the baby face was. You knew who the heel was. But when we got to Hulk Hogan dominating and especially the finish and after the finish, but we'll get to that. Um, this kind of just, yeah, it's kind of ruined it. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of moments that stand out to me. As I mentioned, the slingshot on the outside, I thought looked cool. Uh, Hogan at one stage hits a really good looking running clothesline, which I believe was his finish in 
Japan. I think it was called the Axe Bomber. I think it was like a running clothesline forearm lariat type effort. It looked very, very good. And then we get a moment where Hogan gives Arn Anderson an atomic drop. Arn falls into the into the into the turnbuckles. Sorry. So then falls backwards into Hogan, and Hogan grabs him and gives him a suplex. That I thought looked brilliant. That was that was impressive. I think that might have been the spot of the match. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we get Arn Anderson, I suppose, fighting back with, with a sort of back reverse elbow type effort. He climbs the ropes, but Hogan knocks him off pretty much straight away. Out comes Ric Flair and Elizabeth. Whilst they're coming out and making the nuisance of themselves on the outside, Arn Anderson hits his spine buster. And as Hogan goes to cut, co- sorry, as Anderson goes to cover Hogan, we see Hogan's hands already in the bench press position. And he kicks out whilst throwing Arn Anderson about six foot in the air. I mean, Arn does his best to make it look great. And again, as a kid, I would have loved this. But as an adult, reviewing the show now, it, it, you know, in my current mindset, I'm just a bit like, yeah, I ain't sure about that no more. We get the big boot from Hogan. Sorry, he he hulks up. Apologies. He hulks up after this kick out. We get the big boot, but there's no leg drop. He gives a little strut instead, which Flair goes mad about. Uh, applies the figure four in the most awkward way I've ever seen it done uh, on Arn Anderson, to which Flair is then in the ring. Um, and then talk us through what we see there, Danny, once, once Flair sort of jumps in and sticks his, his nose into the business of Arn and Hogan. Let Flair being Flair here, he has to jump in and try. I was surprised there was no DQ at the end, at the end of this, but... Um, the one thing I really laughed at was, uh, did you hear Mongo McMichael's line about Ric Flair and Liz coming down? No. Oh, he said this, and I quote, he said, we've got enough heels at ringside to start a shoe company. Brilliant. <laughs> I missed that. That was, that was great. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. That was more inside uh, terminology. But yeah, Ric Flair comes in, uh, has, does a few bumps, and then, um, yeah, we it's like... Arnanson hits a spinebuster, gets the two. Woman throws powder in Hulk Hogan's face. I thought that was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, real clever little sort of pro- proper old school 80s heel trick, isn't it? Yeah, but the only bad thing about that was the camera was on her for way too long, so it wasn't a surprise because you saw her put it in her hand and it was just dripping out of her hand. But that's just nitpicking. Um, she got a clear shot of Hulk Hogan's face on that. I thought that was really cool, really, really cool. Yeah, a big thing that you want to take away from that as well, for me personally, is uh, Hogan. He went for a spell in the eighties in the WWF. You know, sort of like you think WrestleMania five times, SummerSlam eighty nine, and all that sort of stuff. The crowd loved it when he beat up Sensational Sherry, which is to me pretty. You know, as as a kid, I was like, "Yeah, get her, she's horrible." But as an adult, I'm like, "He can't be knocking a woman around. That's terrible." Here, he's going towards woman with his fist clenched. You know, shouting and ranting, and it looks like, for all intents and purposes, he, he's he's going to give her a bit of a backhander. So I'm glad she threw that. What Bobby Heenan crazily describes as rat poison, it obviously isn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> throws that powder in Hogan's face. I'm glad. Yeah, you look after oh, yourself. Yeah, stand up for yourself, woman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a baby face, like a total baby face going towards a woman yeah. with his fists clenched. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But again on sherry back in the 80s when i was a kid loved it now it just doesn't age well does it (laughs) no probably not probably not we then get uh interference i guess of another kind from the other lady at ringside don't we elizabeth and the old shoe trick danny yeah um arn gets that shoe hits hulk hogan right in the face and gets a clean one two three to which i wrote down what the hell? What? I could not believe this. <laughs> I don't know about clean. Hogan's had powder in his face. He's been hit by a shoe. But yeah, he pins the guy. He pins him. Fair, you know? yeah. All hail the enforcer. Give him all the belts. Every single one. Arn is the best. Love it. That was. <laughs> I, mean, I thought that was excellent. And what, what a treat on your birthday, side. Arn Anderson pinning Hulk Hogan. In my mind, clean. I know it wasn't clean, but... <laughs> I mean, that, the result stands the same. On the February February 12th, 1996, Arn Anderson pinned Hulk Hogan. Amazing. Absolutely on fifth, amazing. On my 15th birthday, 
are victorious. <laughs> but then it goes downhill, and this is, uh, I don't want to say ruined this, but kind of did. It gets a bit chaotic, doesn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, uh, this is, I actually ran a stopwatch to see Hulk Hogan was pinned, and then 24 seconds later, he gets up, and I wrote FFS. <laughs> 24 seconds he sold uh Arn anderson's so anderson had a victory 24 seconds and then was completely just beaten down again i was very yeah. disappointed i mean to me again it comes back to what hogan's gone through here for Arn to to beat him he's had the powder in the face i've been hit by a shoe i think there should be maybe a little bit more of an effect to those those things happening uh, I mean, I, I suppose you look at WrestleMania 9 when Bret Hart gets hit in the face with, uh, again, Heenan, I think he describes it as salt for Mr. Fuji, but it's this, this powder again, isn't it? Bret's still selling it when he leaves the ring and so on. Here, Hogan's very much, okay, I'm I'm over this now, and just starts beating everybody up. Then Savage comes out, and they're just all scrapping away. Then Flair and Arn Anderson go over to the commentary desk and get hold of a headset, and Flair has a bit of a rant, and Arn Anderson gets the house mic and is talking into that about beating Hulk Hogan tonight and so on. Then Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage give chase, and they arrive at the commentary desk. The heels are scarpered, as they should do. They're the bad guys. They should look cowardly, so that, that, that's spot on. Then we get one of those rambling back and forth between Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan that I thought we were moving away from. But my goodness, was it back in force today, Danny? It was, wasn't it? It was like, um, like we'd been watching it for like a week rather than all these months. But it was like, oh, just... And then uh, we also got the announcement that next week will be a tag team match rather than the um, Savage Flair match, didn't we? I didn't understand any of this. I didn't get I this at all. I had to watch it a couple of times. Basically, because Hogan is saying he accepts the challenge for next week. A heel wrestle on Anderson. And I'm thinking, what challenge? Was there a challenge put out? What? I don't understand. And then, obviously, Savage has got a world title match. And Hogan says to Savage, after you've won back your world title... I'm going to take care of Arn Anderson. I accept that. I just don't understand between the two promos, what is happening next week now? I'm lost. I think you've made me lost now. So I think um, from what I could understand, it was Hulk Hogan and Macho Man versus Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. But now you said that, oh, maybe it could be double main events. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to tune in, won't we? <laughs> well, perhaps this is their ploy all along. But we're here criticising them. Perhaps their plan is to just ramble nonsense until they go off air. And then all the viewers would go, do you know what? We're going to have to watch next week now because I ain't got a bloody clue what they're on about. It's a sound strategy. <laughs> it is. It works because we're going to watch next week. So <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> some 20 odd years later, but we're going to do it. <laughs> uh, and that, that's kind of the end of the show, isn't it? We, we have Hogan and Savage ranting away and back to the, the old situation where neither of them wants to let the other get the last word in. And it's back and, and they're talking about hell to skelter. And uh, it's just, I mean, cocaine's one hell of a drug, man. Oh, it, it looks it. It definitely looks it. <laughs> yeah. But there we go. There we go. That concludes this episode of Monday Nitro. The only thing left for us to do, Danny, is look at a review it, give it our standard ratings and our woos and our brothers, my friend. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want to go first or second? And do you want to give us your positive or your negative? Um, I'll go first this week, si, and I'll definitely choose uh, positive first. Okay. Yep, so de definitely has to be Arn Anderson pinning Hulk Hogan. Uh, in my mind, clean, but I know it wasn't. <laughs> but, um, yep, just the fact that he got to pin Hulk Hogan. Um, not many wrestlers have done that. I mean, he's lost many times, but like, especially on television, it's so cool, so cool. Yeah, my my woo, my, my plus point, it is pretty much the same, but not just the result. It's the match itself. And this is amazing to you know come from me, I guess. If anyone listens to Nitro Nights every week, they understand my thoughts on Hulk Hogan in this era we're watching here. 
but yeah, Hogan versus Anderson was 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 great. I enjoyed it. It took me back to my childhood. I'm a big Iron fan, obviously, and Iron was bumping all over the place and so on. Hogan looked energetic and into it and did stuff in this match that I've very rarely seen him use, especially in the United States. Yeah, just uh, the main event for me was the highlight of the show, which I suppose in a lot of ways is kind of how a wrestling show should be, I guess. Yeah, definitely. At least we had to clean finish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you claim. <laughs> uh, your negative then, Danny. Your oh brother, my friend. This one I struggled with, but um, it was I was going to choose Hulk Hogan ruining Arn Anderson's moment, but then I realised that's part of the storyline and things like that. So it would have to be definitely um, Loch Ness's uh, effort in the match. I mean, it's not his fault. You can't blame him, but I think they should have booked it a lot differently. Um, yeah, yeah, my old brother is the same. My old brother is Loch Ness, and again, I don't want to be talking ill of the dead and so on. And uh, obviously, the guy was, you know, he was dead a couple of years after this. He was diagnosed as being quite poorly very soon after this, but he he really didn't have any place in 1996 being on a WCW television show. He looked so out of place. So yeah, my old brother is is the debut of of Loch Ness and and that match there. Hit miss or middle in there, my friend. I'm going with middle this time, Si. Um, there was some good matches, but there was also some ropey stuff. And uh, yeah, it would definitely have to be middle. How about you, mate? I'm afraid to say it's a miss for me this week. It's a miss. Um, the opener, uh, Hugh Morris versus Savage, did nothing for me. It was just, as we say on the show, it was just all punchy kicky. Uh, Lot Ness, Scott Riggs was a bit of a mess. Devon Storm versus Conan was better, but again, there were moments where it just completely took me out of what I was watching. The only plus point for me in this show, really, barring a few of the stunts that Devon Storm performed, was Arn Anderson and Hulk Hogan. And even the ending of that kind of went a bit daft and crazy and so on. So I've really got no inkling to go back and watch this show ever again. So on that premise, it's, it's got to be a miss, I think. I can see that, mate. Yeah, I mean, it's shocking that, I mean, especially for after a big pay-per-view, they kind of just didn't go all out here, did they? Well, yeah, and it's not even just the big pay-per-view aspect. I mean, you're right. It's the show directly after a pay-per-view. They've, they've crowned a new world champion. They've just had Hogan defeat the Giant in a cage. These are all headline-making uh, making moments, making stories. These are going to be on the front of magazines. These are These are big, you know, big deals in the wrestling world and the biggest part of that there's no monday night raw this week so they could they could put on an absolute belter of a show the extra they're going to get extra eyes on the product purely because they won't get the whole of the raw audience because you do get some people who are very you know, brand loyalty is a thing i guess so you're not everyone who watches raw is going to think oh i'll check out that other show that's not going to happen. And also it's not always available in all the same places in the country, different networks and so on, but you're going to get, a, I would imagine a good old wedge of, of Raw's audience turning over. And also those fans who flick back and forth have nothing to flick back and forth to. They are on nitro. So this is an opportunity to really capitalize on the big stories from the night before. And the fact they have got no opposition running alongside them, t- you know, on the other channel time-wise. I just think they missed an opportunity here. They really missed the boat. And the TV ratings show that because the peak in ratings they had this week, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, it drops back down to to, to normality the following week. So they really missed an opportunity, I think, here, Danny. Oh, that is a, such a shame as well. I mean, uh, did they know Raw wasn't going to be on on this night? They would have done, yes. They would have done ahead of time, yes. Well, that's even a bigger shame then. Yeah, mm. it's just, I mean, you, you have an unopposed night and you put Loch Ness out there and, oh, no, not good. No, they could have thought of something a bit better, couldn't they? But there we go. There you go. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, my friend. Danny, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and also whereabouts they can find all the glorious shows you're involved in all over the place, please? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Mead podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on uh, Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be looking at another Nitro with the great Cy Powell. 
<laughs> the great you tall nonsense but thank you um yes we will be back next week looking at another nitro uh you can follow me on twitter uh, at sjp words but most importantly i want you to go and check out the social media contacts for the network at sjp world media and on that note check it a follow check out all the shows we have it's on facebook it's on twitter and have a little look at the merchandise as well we're getting to a point now with the network where things are very much up and running that sort of teething period when it first started i think we're through now the shows are regular we're getting more and more shows joining all the time so you know to be able to bring you the content such as nitro nights that so many people tell us they enjoy to bring you chain wrestling live on a monday and so on as well as all the other shows on our network as well we you know the benny mac uh look at shows looking at wwe every week rsh coming from the states looking at wwe every week the nothingness show on a sunday checking up power palace with me and my wife just talking nonsense and her pointing out how much of a moron i am you know, all this different stuff that we're involved the nxt show coming up very very soon you've probably heard an advert for it during this very episode because it's out on monday Shh. but there we go it's all of that all of that all that content for you the best way of supporting the show is to spread the word of the show of the network let everyone let all your friends know to check it out and just have a little look at the merch and if you like some of the designs grab yourself a t-shirt that few quid goes a long long way with regards to our network and putting shows out for you so that's at sjp world media there the link is all over our social media for the merchandise and probably in the comments section or the description of this particular podcast itself lastly and most importantly you can follow this show on facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights danny that's it then bud another nitro in the bag fast approaching mid 96 when we all know what happens then only 13 more weeks left so until that magical moment is that it 13 really yep definitely and i can't wait to speak to you next week mate yeah definitely definitely i'm looking forward to it as well and as always to everybody else thank you for listening